Theo Walcott has retired and it's got me feeling all nostalgic. Are Arsenal really in the race for Ansu Fati? There's a surprise club interested in following Balogun and we'll be reflecting on Arsenal's 3-0 friendly win over Luton Town and looking at the new kit too on this edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of, of course, the 90 Min football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. And on this edition, we're going to be rounding up the latest Arsenal-related stories. We're going to be discussing the friendly victory over Luton Town yesterday, a game that took place behind closed doors. What was the purpose of it? What were the takeaways from it? We'll get into all of that. We'll touch on Theo Walcott's retirement. Over 100 goals for Arsenal, Theo Walcott. Underrated? I think so. A little bit. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about Spurs' rumoured interest in following Balogun. Should we sell? Should we bump the price up? How should Arsenal handle this if indeed it is true? We'll discuss Arsenal's rumoured interest in the Barcelona forward Ansu Fati. And we'll react to the announcement around our third kit. We've all seen it. Wasn't exactly um, kept under wraps very well, was it? So we've all seen it in advance, but the official uh, release uh, took place earlier today and we'll be reacting to that as well. Lots to come on this live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Don't forget to like, don't forget to subscribe, all the usual stuff. Let's get into it. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, We are back in the man cave with functioning internet for the time being. I don't want to jinx it, but maybe I just shouldn't say anything. You know what? I just won't say anything. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Welcome along uh, to the program. Slightly earlier show today, uh, just to make it, of course, fit around work commitments. We are going to be bringing you a Crystal Palace preview as well uh, over the course of the weekend. Remember, Arsenal not in action until Monday night, which means we get a bit of a free weekend, at least from the Arsenal. I'll be down at Queen's Park Rangers versus Ipswich Town tomorrow in the Championship, which is an interesting game for a number of reasons. I won't bore you with why, but Ipswich are one of the sides that I've been looking at going into the Championship season and a side that I'm really kind of keen to watch up close hear loads and loads about the coaching and and the style of play and all the rest of it. So I'm actually really looking forward uh, to seeing them in the flesh and uh, drawing my own conclusions about Kieran McKenna's side. Right. Um, Let's start off, I think, with Theo Walcott's retirement. Um, I mean, look, Theo Walcott, he's somebody that divided opinion, I think, during his time at Arsenal quite a bit. He's somebody that could be Brilliant at times, but also really, really frustrating at times. That That's the truth of it, right? You know, there were moments where Theo Walcott looked unplayable and there were moments where he looked like he couldn't hit a barn door. And, and that's the, the truth of it. You know, I think he was a good player. Um, I think at times too much was expected of him. I think at times, you know, he lacked that little bit of quality when it really, really mattered in the final third and stuff. He always struck me as a player that lived off of instinct. You know, if you put him through on goal and he didn't have much time to think about it, he would invariably find the back of the net with an emphatic finish. Sometimes if you gave him too long on the ball, he'd start to sort of ask questions of himself, second guess himself. And you would see Theo Walcott spurn really, really good opportunities. But overall, 
We're talking about a really, really great servant to this football club. We're talking about someone who joined the club when he was just 16 years old from Southampton, way back in 2006. This makes me feel really, really old. He scored 108 goals in 397 appearances for Arsenal. Two-time FA Cup winner, won a couple of community shields as well, but only Jose Mourinho counts those as trophies. Seems like a, an amazing guy. Seems like someone that, you know, will have been very, very popular behind the scenes, was clearly very popular with his manager, with his teammates. Obviously got taken to the World Cup, didn't he, by Sven Joran Eriksson at 16 years old as well, which came as a massive shock and surprise. He didn't uh, feature in that World Cup. He was just a part of the squad. But I remember sort of there being a big story around that. One that Arsene Wenger was willing to take a gamble on. And I think overall he repaid the faith that Arsenal showed in him. As I say, I think at times he was incredibly frustrating, but I think that's because we were used to such a high standard at Arsenal. This guy came in, what, a couple of years after the Invincibles, where I don't think we had accepted yet as a football club that we weren't going to hit those same heights for a long, long time and that we as a football club were actually on a bit of a decline due to the Emirates Stadium and all the rest of it. We've been over the reasons for that a million and one times, so I don't want to bore you with that again. But um, yeah, look, I mean, when you score 108 goals in 397 appearances, that's better than one in four in terms of a goal return. And you're talking about someone that wasn't an out-and-out striker, was a winger, a right winger. At times, he played through the middle. I remember on occasion, particularly away from home, when Arsenal were looking to play on the counter-attack, Theo Walcott would be deployed in that role. And he was very, very suited to it because obviously he had that incredible pace in behind. And for all the faults that Theo Walcott maybe had and for all the times that people said, oh, this guy just isn't quite at that elite level, he did come up with some really, really big moments as well. Big goals against Spurs, uh, goals at Wembley against Aston Villa. You're seeing the clip now if you're watching us. Goals against Tottenham Hotspur. And he very much was a, a big part of the Arsenal family. So I'm, um, I'm yeah... I'm I'm a little bit sad about this. I'm feeling a little bit nostalgic. 34 years old, you know, we've seen players play beyond that, but clearly Theo Walcott feels that it's the right time. Um, you know, injuries were, were an issue for him at times and maybe just feels like his body isn't at the same level that it maybe was two, three years ago, which enabled him to continue playing. Obviously, he went off to Everton from Arsenal, spent a bit of time back at his uh, original club, Southampton, before calling it a day, but he's called it a day now. And um, best wishes to Theo Walcott, an Arsenal man, uh, no doubt about that, who has uh, now retired from the game. Big hello to everybody who's joining us now. Uh, I can see a load of you have joined us on the live stream. Good to see you all on this Friday morning. Uh, Theo Walcott has retired. That's the news. Um, obviously, that was uh, revealed in an interview that he gave um, with I think it was with Gary Neville, but of course there were reports doing the rounds of his retirement prior to that. So um, yeah, let Theo Walcott get his moment in the sun and let him get the appreciation that I think he deserves having had a really, really good career, if we're being honest. Okay, let's move on then to uh, Arsenal's behind-closed-doors friendly against Luton Town. Mikel Arteta's side uh, taking on the Hatters in a game that took place yesterday. Arsenal running out 3-0 winners in that one. Uh, two goals from Leandro Trossard and a goal from Bukayo Saka. Perhaps the biggest talking point is that David Raya made his Arsenal debut. Now, the game was split 
into three 30-minute periods from what we understand. David Raya played two of those. So he got 60 minutes in Arsenal colours, um, 60 minutes in the Arsenal goal. And from what we understand, although uh, full details have not been released, it was a pretty strong Arsenal side. You're talking about Saka scoring. You're talking about a brace from Trossard. We also know, uh, which is another big boost, that Alexander Zinchenko and Reese Nelson both featured in the game, having returned from injury. And with Urien Timber's problem now, uh, getting Zinchenko back becomes more important. So uh, good to see him uh, back in action as well. Look, when we broke away from the Nottingham Forest game the other day, I remember sort of jumping onto social media and reading comments from non-Arsenal fans who had suggested that Arsenal were arrogant against Nottingham Forest, that they were complacent, that that was the reason that a game that should have been a 3-4-5-0 victory even ended up being a narrow 2-1 win and ended up with us in a situation in the last sort of seven, eight minutes where we were a little bit nervous. I said straight off the bat that I didn't feel that that was the issue. I, I didn't feel that was the problem. I felt like having gone into the season, having not had as straightforward a preseason as we did the one before where the, the team were fit, the team were ready, all our business was done early and we were able to play with that settled 11 um, all the way up to the build-up of the season. And then we started the season brilliantly. It was just a little bit slower this time around. The, the squad depth meant that Mikel had to give more people minutes, which disrupted the team a little bit in preseason, and meant, I think, that some of the players that you would have wanted to be at 100% on the first week were maybe at 70 75%. Now, that's not uncommon. We see that with a lot of teams. We see that with a lot of clubs. And these are the challenges that come when you've got a bigger squad, but you need a bigger squad to compete. You need a bigger squad to not be killed by every single injury that you pick up. And so you, you kind of can't have it both ways. But I think it was clear to me after the opening game that Arsenal just fitness wise lost their way a bit in the second half. The drop off was huge. And a lot of the reaction to that was, well, why didn't Mikel make substitutions earlier? You know, we talk about the squad depth that we now have. Surely that would have meant that he'd have been more confident in just freshening things up a little bit, giving others an opportunity to come on and have an impact in the game. And to a degree, I kind of agree with that. But I think it was it was clearly about fitness. It was clearly about sharpness. It was clearly about us not having that cutting edge uh, to be able to take the game from uh, the 2-0 lead that we had to a position where we were totally comfortable and it was over as a contest. And I think a lot of the reason that Arsenal wanted to have this friendly with Luton Town is because of that. Arsenal don't play, of course, until Monday night. Luton Town's game this weekend has been postponed because um, Kenilworth Road is still undergoing works. Anybody that's been to Kenilworth Road will know that it's not a Premier League stadium. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be done there. Um, they were required to make a lot of changes to meet the Premier League's rules and regulations. And they asked for a little bit of extra time to get all of that stuff done. Listen, it was a lot. As I say, if you've been there, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about and what I'm referring to. So, yeah, that's why Luton weren't in action or aren't in action this weekend and were open and available to take on this friendly. It's Premier League opposition, regardless of how you think they'll fare. Um, and of course, for Arsenal, with that gap, having played last Saturday and not playing until Monday, they felt that Thursday was a good opportunity to squeeze in another game to build up some fitness. That's what it's about, right? That's that's what this is about. That's what Mikel Arteta would have been intending um, when this game was organised and arranged. And I think the fact that Arsenal have played this match and 
selected so many of the big boys, so many players that you would think, wow, you know, you're playing against um, Luton Town in a friendly, you should protect this player. So many of them were involved, which suggests that Mikel felt the same way that I did and, and many others did, which is that actually the problem at the weekend with regards to how we allowed the game to get into the state that it did was not anything to do with mentality, not anything to do with complacency, but something purely down to match sharpness, fitness, all the rest of it. And I think he felt that this was an opportunity to build that up. And it, it seems uh, a really, really good idea. We don't know too much about the game. No highlights have been released at the time of recording or anything like that. So we're kind of guessing how it went. But when you look at the scoreline, it looks pretty comfortable. And I think the most encouraging thing is the fact that Raya played that Trossard got a couple of goals, that Saka got a goal, but also got some minutes. But perhaps more significant than all of those things, Zinchenko is back, uh, as is Reese Nelson. Don't know if Zinchenko will be fit enough to start the game on Monday night against Crystal Palace, but this would have played a big part in bringing him up to speed uh, after, of course, a long time on the sidelines. He's essentially missed preseason. Alexander Zinchenko. So he's a little bit behind the group um, and he's got some work to do in order to catch up. Um, we're going to take a really, really short pause and then we're going to discuss uh, Arsenal's rumoured interest in Ansu Fati. We're going to talk about uh, Spurs' reported interest in following Balogun. Should we sell? What should the price be if Spurs are the ones asking the questions? And we'll look at that third kit, uh, which has been released today. Plus, we'll take a few of your questions uh, before the end of the show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeu, and we are rounding up the latest Arsenal stories ahead of another busy weekend of Premier League football. Although Arsenal, of course, not in action until Monday night, so we've got to wait that little bit longer. Right, let's discuss Ansu Fati then, uh, the Barcelona forward that is being linked by a number of outlets, actually, with a move to Arsenal. Now, is there much in this? Is this one of those rumours of convenience? You'll know that I love um, to label things as rumours of convenience. Look, Arsenal you know, in a lot of people's eyes, still need to bring in another wide option. Um, when you think about where we're weak, that's one of the areas where you look at the squad and you don't feel we quite have the depth. What I would say is that Ansu Fati is predominantly a left winger. So I don't know that this makes complete sense in that, but he is still a winger. Uh, nevertheless, he's somebody that started his career uh, way back when with the Sevilla uh, youth side moved to Barcelona at a very, very young age and has come up through their ranks uh, ever since under-16s, under-18s, under-19s, Barcelona B. And in September 2020, he made the move across from the Bs team to the first team. If we have a look at his sort of career statistics, he's just 20 years old, of course. Um, so, you know, you're not expecting to see crazy numbers in terms of what his outputs look like. But last season, for example, in La Liga, 36 appearances, seven goals and four assists. So you're talking 11 direct goal contributions in 36 games. Scored a couple of goals in the Copa del Rey last season as well. Made a couple of appearances in the Europa League, but didn't score uh, a couple in the Super Copa as well. But he did get a goal in that. So this is a player very much who's developing as well. And when you think about what Barcelona are going to probably ask for in terms of his fee, you think it's going to be quite a lot. You'd expect it to be north of 40 million euros at best. Because 
often when players have academy products like this, right, there isn't any value um, that they've had to fork out essentially to bring the player in the door. So what they like to do clubs is maximize these sales, because if you can maximize these sales, what it does is it really makes your books look healthy. And it really helps you when it comes to FFP. And we know that Barcelona are having all sorts of issues registering players, giving players the contract um, contracts that they're demanding, all the rest of it. They've been pulling levers left, right and centre. They've sold the rights to certain things, to their mega store, to their uh, TV channel. They've, they've sold rights left, right and centre, essentially, to be able to keep functioning in the way that they want to. And you feel like Barcelona are heading into the ground a little bit as a football club, not necessarily on the pitch, you know, La Liga champions, you know, fair play to Xavi. They managed to do that last season, which some people thought was impossible. I just think that for me, um, I just think for me, Barcelona are a club that are always in the news because of how big they are. Ansu Fati is someone that's kind of been maybe on the peripheries of stuff um, with Xavi. You know, sometimes he's in, sometimes he's not. And you don't really know um, you know, what what Javi's thoughts are on him. You know, you think about the first game against Getafe, which I'm told was one of the worst games in the history of La Liga, which took place last weekend. Ansu Fati played 11 minutes. Um, so, and you look back at last season and there were a lot of occasions in which he wasn't in the starting lineup. So you do question what Javi's intentions are around him, which is why there is this speculation about a move away. Arsenal need a winger put two and two together, you get five. Look, I don't personally think that Arsenal are going to move for Ansu Fati. I think he's a talented player and I think he's got room to grow. But when you're talking, you know, a fee north of at minimum, at best, 40, 45 million euros, I think this is a bit of a gamble and one that Arsenal at this moment probably don't need to take. If you're talking about, you know, homegrown type wingers or, or wingers that are of that particular age profile, you got your Sackers, you got your Martinelli's, you got your Reese Nelsons. You know, Marquinhos is still a part of the club, although he's gone out on loan uh, to France. I just, I don't know, this doesn't really appeal to me. And I think where I would have been open to Arsenal making this type of signing, a bit of a gamble, an exciting signing, someone that you think is going to come in and bring a little bit of flair and pace and all the rest of it. My opinion on that has changed off the back of, discovering the extent of Yuri and Timber's injury. Yuri and Timber's injury. I keep doing that. Just got used to saying it and now I can't get out of the habit. With Yuri and Timber out for the long term, I think we're in need of a defensive reinforcement more now than we are another forward. And some people would disagree with that. But if you think about our defensive unit, which I said had been completed by the signing of Yuri and Timber, we are actually back to square one. We're back to where we were last season and we're only one or two injuries away from having a big problem. People won't want to hear this, but I don't trust Alexander Zinchenko to stay fit for the majority of the season. I don't trust Takahiro Tomiyasu to stay fit for the majority of the season. And when we lost William Saliba last time out and we brought in Holding initially and then Kivior, as good as Kivior was, Holding, we know what Rob Holding is with all due respect. But with Jakub Kivior, yes, there was some improvement, but it still wasn't William Saliba levels. With Jurian Timber in the side and, and having that freedom to push White back in field or put Tomiyasu there or play Tomiyasu at right back and put Timber in field, to have those options was massive. And I felt that that put us in a really good position going into this new campaign. To lose Timber now 
means that we are, as I say, are back to square one in that regard. And I want us to go out and bring in another defender before the window is up rather than uh, going and spending what will be a significant amount of money on somebody like Ansu Fati. Nobody on the English side of things has been reporting this. This is a report that is coming out of Spain. And we know that there are a few outlets in Spain that should be regarded, to put it politely, as questionable. Sport, uh, one of the Barcelona-based papers being one of them. So I'm not getting carried away on this. I like the player. I think he's got talent. I think under different circumstances, maybe this would be worth a punt. But given the situation we find ourselves in now, following Timber's injury, I don't think this should be the priority anymore. So I would stay clear of this. And if I had to give you a, a percentage in terms of how likely I think it is that this deal goes through, at this moment in time, I'm not even at 10%. I'm probably at 7 8%. So not one to get carried away about at this moment in time. I could be wrong, but it's my understanding that this is not something that Arsenal view as a priority right now. And, um, and I think Arsenal will be looking to add a defensive recruit before the end of the window. Okay, uh, we're going to take another very brief pause and then we're going to discuss uh, the new kit. But first up, we're going to talk following Balogun. Spurs are interested. Get lost. Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min football family as ever. I'm your host, Harry Simiou. Uh, we've been talking Theo Walker, Arsenal's 3-0 friendly victory over Luton Town. Uh, we've also been discussing Ansu Fati, who is being linked with a move to the Arsenal. Uh, but before we get into the brand new third kit that was released today, let's discuss uh, the rumoured interest in following Balogun from Tottenham Hotspur. Now, we talked yesterday about Fulham being interested in him. Of course, Fulham have, um, you know, have, have had a, a good time since coming back into the Premier League. Marco Silva's done a cracking job. I think he's built a good little side there. Um, Alexander Mitrovic was right at the centre of, of their success last season. But of course, uh, he is uh, on his way to Al-Hilal, I believe. Um, Saudi Arabian club have come in for him. They've made an offer that is too good, really, for Fulham to refuse. Too good for Mitrovic on a personal level to refuse. We understand he's been pushing for that move as well after some initial interest was knocked away by Fulham earlier on in the window. Well, that deal looks like it's happening, which means that Fulham need a centre-forward and following Balogun's name come up. Now, I've said it all along. If Arsenal are going to get what they regard to be top dollar for following Balogun, they're going to need to sell him to a Premier League club because only the Premier League clubs have the finance to be able to match or get close to even Arsenal's valuation, which they've set at around about £50 million. I've also said consistently throughout the summer that I think Arsenal will budge on that. I think they will uh, sort of relax their stance on that a little bit because they'll understand as the window goes on that people are not willing to pay that, that nobody's going to pay that um, for Balogun. Nobody outside of the Premier League anyway. Fulham are said to be preparing an offer and Arsenal are likely to stick to their guns at least for the first offer. Um, and, and see how close Fulham get to that. But we also heard yesterday that Tottenham Hotspur are inquiring or prepared to make an inquiry about the American centre forward. Now, here's my view on this. You do not strengthen Tottenham Hotspur under any circumstances. You do not sell them following Balogun unless, and there is a scenario in which I would be okay with this going through, unless 
you're going to bump up the price. And when I say bump up the price, I mean really, really bump it up. We know they just got that money in for Harry Kane. We know that they've got funds. We know that they are in desperate need of a centre forward. If they are going to take a player from us, just like when we try and take players away from Chelsea, for example, there has to be a premium whacked on top. And so if Arsenal's asking price for following Balogun is £50 million, if it's Tottenham, it should be 70 plus. If Tottenham came and made a firm offer of £70 million for following Balogun, personally, I would take it and I'd run. There would be a little part of me that almost feels dirty at sort of giving them a player that they clearly want. But for that kind of money, I think we'd be stupid not to take it and reinvest it back in our squad. If following Balogun was regarded that highly by Arsenal Football Club, he wouldn't be available for sale in the first place. They'd be moving heaven and earth to try and convince him that this is a place for him to stay. And I don't get the impression that Arsenal have been doing much of that, partly because his stance has always been, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go, I don't want to be here. I want to play regularly. So yeah, we are uh, where we are on this. Um, you know, Daniel Levy is notoriously very difficult to deal with. Look how he's dug his heels in over Harry Kane for a number of years. Look how he's done it with other players. I think that we would need to give them a taste of their own medicine if indeed their interest is at the point where they would actually approach Arsenal Football Club. I, I don't know. I think to, you know, to even try this on their part is is quite cheeky and, and quite bold and brave. And if I'm, again, a bit like the Ansu Fati one, although this is being reported and although there may be some admiration for him on Ange Postacoglu's part, I think the likelihood of this progressing into something is, is again, pretty small. Uh, but those uh, reports were doing the rounds yesterday and gathering quite a lot of momentum. So I felt it worth discussing. OK, uh, one more topic and then uh, we are going to take a few of your questions uh, before I uh, go off into the sunset. You can join me and Ade Oladipo on TalkSport 2 this afternoon on the social. We'll be uh, with you guys from 3 through until 5 p.m. Uh, we'll be looking ahead, of course, to the weekend's football and discussing all the big stories, uh, which is always great fun. So do join us on that. Uh, right, short pause, and then let's uh, have a look at this. Uh, let's have a look at this third kit, shall we? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90-min football family. Let's have a look then at this third kit, which has been released today. I actually like it. I really, really do, and I'm. I'm almost gutted that this is not our away kit. Um, I think we would have really liked it. Not not as much as the black one from last year, which incidentally I've got right here. I keep this one close to my heart because I absolutely love it. Uh, what a shirt. Um, this isn't as good as that, but it's much better than the away kit, than the yellow, weird, stripy thing that we've got. And which we're wearing, by the way, at Crystal Palace uh, on Monday night, apparently. I really like this. I'm a big fan of it. I think it's great. Um, I uh, It's obviously throwing back to previous years in terms of the colour scheme. We've we've had this colour scheme before. Back in the day, I, I think it looks fabulous. And um, I've already ordered mine this morning. Um, I, I did get a bit of grief on Twitter earlier on because I posted this picture. Uh, where I said, uh, love this kit, looking forward to mine arriving. Yes, I'm still a massive child when it comes to this stuff. And for those of you that are listening on audio, there is a shirt with Simeu number nine on the back. I didn't actually order it with my name on the back because that would make me a bit of a, yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm 33 years old. I'm not going to walk around with my name, my make-believe name on the back of my shirt as if I play for Arsenal. But I did the mock-up on the website just because it got me 
gassed and I'm a bit of a big kid like that. So yeah, um, that's on its way. And I'm really, really looking forward to wearing that one just as I was with the black one last season as well. Um, let me know your thoughts on it. I think it's great. I really, really like it. Uh, let's see what you guys are saying. Uh, Tom says, um, the third kit is nice, much better than the horrific high vis yellow situation. Um, Gimme Box says, yep, looks better than our away kit. Not going to lie. Completely agree. Completely agree with that. Um, cool. Uh, right. <laughs> Check uh, PX says, 33. <laughs> baby, mate. I don't feel like a baby. I feel like I'm getting old. I feel like I'm getting old. I don't even want to celebrate my birthday. Is this something that you get over? Like when you Like when I got to 30... I really enjoyed my kind of 30th birthday celebrations. And then 31, I was a bit like, oh, my God, I'm getting closer to 40. And with each year that passes, I feel more and more like that. Somebody told me yesterday, a colleague of mine who's a little bit older than me, that this does pass. And then you start to quite enjoy your birthdays again. Is that right? Let me know uh, in the chat box. Uh, right. Let's uh, let's take some of your questions and some of your thoughts from the live chat box uh, for the last sort of five, 10 minutes of the show at uh, Chex, as I promise it does get better. I hope so, man. I hope so. Uh, right. Uh, Cindy says, Mr. Simeon, where are we lacking in depth in this squad? A nine or a left winger for me? A shame about Daniel Marlin. I liked him a lot. I agree that we could do with another nine. Not sure about left winger. I, I disagree with that. I think that Martinelli's great. I think that Trossard's great from there. I think that Reese Nelson is, uh, I keep saying this, far more effective from the left than I think he is from the right. So he would be an option there for me um, as well. So we've got at least three options there. So I'm not too fussed about the left wing position. I think right wing is an issue. Um, right wing is, is is something that we need to look at. Uh, what else have we got? The Italian Stallion says, uh, could Arsenal go in for Federico Di Marco? I don't see it. Um, I don't see it. I like Di Marco, but I like him going forward much more than I like him going backwards. And I also think that Di Marco is better suited to playing in a, a sort of wing-back uh, situation. So where he's, um, you know, where he's able to get up and down the pitch more and, and where he's got that third centre-half inside of him to offer that extra little bit of protection. Just going back to Cindy's comments, he says, sorry, he meant right wing. I thought so. I thought so. Um, nice one, man. Uh, what else have we got? Sergeant Sponge says, hey, Harry, do you think it's starting to be a worry at how easily our players are getting injured. Do you think it could be because of how intense our training might be? It's really difficult for me to say, man. Um, you know, I get asked this question a lot. And the truth is, I don't have the the knowledge, nor the qualification, nor the understanding of the medical processes and procedures and of the human body, ultimately, to be able to identify what may or may not be the problem. You know, and I think what isn't helpful is that we get a lot of um, sort of doctors and stuff who... Um, obviously have the, the medical knowledge, but maybe don't have the insight as to, you know, players conditioning on a day-to-day -day basis, what exactly is going on. And and sometimes they come out and they say stuff like, for example, I, I saw one on TV the other day who said, there's no way that Jury and Timber should have gone back out on the pitch. Well, if the medical staff couldn't identify a problem at that point, if Jury and Timber himself said he was comfortable and all the rest of it, then you know, there's there's not much they can do. It's not like they have time to take him off for an MRI scan during half time and really investigate the problem deeply. So I think we, we're we really quick to jump on the medical staff's back. Look, medicine is, is one of the most difficult things in the world. That's why you have to study so long to get into it because I think a lot of it is is trial and error. I think a lot of it is trying to figure stuff out. And um, 
And, and obviously you're dealing with different people, different bodies, different tolerance levels, different fitness levels, different sort of makeups in terms of their, you know, anatomy and their DNA and all the rest of it. I think it can be quite difficult to just be, or, or I think it's wrong to just be like the doctors should be sacked, which I see a lot of people uh, saying, which I think is a bit of a nonsense. Am I worried about it? Of course, but this is not a problem exclusive to Arsenal. In particular, these knee ligament injuries, they, they seem to be a really common thing nowadays. Uh, which is a worry. Um, Afsar says, now that our team is, or sorry, now that Timber is out, would you say our team is stronger than last season? No. Um, well, it is stronger in the sense that we've got Havertz in, another option. It's stronger in the sense that we got Rice in. Obviously, we lost Shaka, so you offset that against the arrival of those two players. Um, David Raya's come in as well, which definitely strengthens our goalkeeping department. But as a defensive unit, in terms of that back four, back four that we like to play with, back three at times, whatever, we are back to where we were with Urian Timber. And we've obviously spent the money on him to bring him in for a reason. So I do think that we probably should, if possible, go out and bring someone in to just give us that one more option that we clearly felt we needed going into the summer. Um, <laughs> Matt G says, do you think the Italian stallion is actually Italian? For some reason, I imagine he's a lad named Kevin from Dagenham. I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm sure he's Italian. I'm sure he's Italian. <laughs> uh, Brian McCarthy says, do you think Tierney is done at the Arsenal? I don't. Um, judging by Mikel's comments yesterday, um, I don't think there's any intention to allow any defensive options to leave. And maybe Arsenal might have entertained that, you know, a week or two ago. But now with Timber's injury, I think there's even less chance of Arsenal sanctioning a deal for Kieran Tierney unless they receive an offer that is just too good to turn down. And at the moment, that doesn't appear to be forthcoming. You know, Newcastle United were the club that were said to be really interested, but they are moving for Lewis Hall and they are willing to pay £35 million to get that deal done. Um, they clearly think he is a big prospect. And I think Kieran Tierney, unfortunately, his stock has fallen over the last couple of seasons where he's not been as involved as uh, as he'd have liked. Let me take uh, a couple more uh, before I say goodbye. I'm just, look, somehow the internet has survived and I just don't want to push my luck and go too far uh, to the point where it cuts out. Uh, but Czech Pick says, do you think Wenger's statue was too long coming? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think in a way, with the whole Wenger situation, the way it got, the, the way things developed, it, it kind of needed a bit of time for the dust to settle, for people to get back to actually just looking at Arsene Wenger through the right lens, which is the lens of legend. Look at where he got us. Everything you see around you is is a, a result of Arsene Wenger making miracles out of nothing. And, and I think for me, you know, it, I'm glad that it was done at a time where that anger and frustration that I think sort of took over people's minds when it came to Wenger has kind of subsided a little bit. So yeah, maybe you could argue it should have been done earlier, but I think I think leaving it a little bit of time, getting Wenger back at Emirates Stadium, having him in attendance, you know, a couple of times has just got us to a point now where I think the feeling around him is great again and and it feels like the right time as a result of that. Uh I'm gonna take one more. Um um, not an Arsenal-related one, but Fuad says, wondering as you do work on the championship, who do you see getting promoted to the Premier League, mate? Um, so my championship coverage is limited to the London clubs. Um, I am a BBC London 
reporter slash commentator and I get sent to games involving London clubs, right? So I've only seen so far this season Watford, Queen's Park Rangers. I'm going to see Queen's Park Rangers again at the weekend. I certainly don't think they're contenders for promotion. I think they'll be lucky to stay in the division, to be honest with you. Um, and I'm going to have a good look at Ipswich tomorrow, who are top of the league as it stands. But look, we're only two games in. Um, yeah, I think the newly promoted or the relegated clubs, you know, Leicester, Leeds for me, should be there or thereabouts. Not quite sure about Southampton. Um, I think they'll definitely make the playoffs, but I don't know if they'll be good enough to get into the auto spots. Um, but yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to say at this stage of the season because the championship is such a long old slog. You know, I mean, at the back at, at the beginning of last season, I went to Loftus Road and, and saw Queen's Park Rangers under Mick Beal and they looked fantastic, really free flowing, great attacking football. It was really brilliant to watch. And Mick Beal, of course, left the club. He was replaced and ultimately Queen's Park Rangers' form spiralled and they ended up being in a relegation fight. So the championship is a really long old season. Remember, there's, what, 46 games in the championship. Um, so, you know, that's another, oh God, that's another eight from, from uh, sort of what we are used to in the Premier League. So you can imagine that there's so much time and room for things to just go wrong. 46 games is a lot of games. And a lot can change. Um, and the schedule is bloody brutal as well. Um, so difficult to say at this early stage. Right, guys. Um, actually, I'm, let me take this one more um, from uh, Nexus. who says, Harry, would you take Pedro Neto? He looked bloody good against Man United the other night. But he's someone whose injury problems really do worry and concern me. If the price was right, maybe I'd take a punt on Pedro Neto. I think he's a good, good player. Right. I am going to leave it there. We have survived. Uh, we have survived Harry's dodgy router for another episode, another live episode of the Chronicles of Aguna. In celebration, if you wouldn't mind, please uh, hit the like button. It really, really does help. No reason why we shouldn't be able to get up to 150 in terms of likes, given how many of you are with us. Uh, subscribe to the channel as well. If you're brand spanking new, we're closing in uh, to being within 700 subs of that 30,000 magic mark. Uh, that we want to get to ASAP. Thank you, as always, for your brilliant support. And I will see you all soon with a look ahead to the game on Monday night at Selhurst Park, where Arsenal take on Crystal Palace. Until then, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.